Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. At Family Church, and we're so, so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Like I said, let's open the book of Jude and, uh, and look at God's Word together this morning. So I'll give you the big idea up front, and then we're going to read the book of Jude together. The big idea is this. We contend for the gospel. We contend for the gospel. Maybe you're a part of church and you know what that word gospel means. If you're not a part of a church and you're like, well, I hear this gospel thing all the time. What does it mean? Gospel simply means good news. And so the gospel for us is the good news of Jesus, who has taken away our sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to perish, but would have everlasting life. And God saves us from ourselves, and he saves us to a mission. And our mission as a church is the great commandment, which is to love God and to love people. We say, love God passionately and love people personally. And then to fulfill the great commission, to go in all the world and make disciples and teaching others to obey Jesus as he has commanded us. And so we've looked at that recently in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and we looked at our family roots. And if you remember our family roots, it was that one we follow, we, sh- we pursue, we share, we, we multiply, and we gather. And so as we go and do those things, especially as we move back to our home in Kenner to do that work, there will be at some point opposition. Because you see, you can spend as many days as you want in South Florida and Key West, but you got to come home to reality, right? And reality is that we are called to contend for the gospel, and we live in a world that isn't necessarily gospel-friendly, isn't always Jesus-friendly. So how do we do that? That's why the book of Jude was written, and I hope you've read the book of Jude before. Uh, I'm not going to answer all of your questions today. We could have really done a whole sermon series on the book of Jude, but I thought it was really a helpful reminder for us today in light of what God has called us to do as a church, how we are to do it, how we're to persevere in that work, and we do it by contending for the gospel. So let's read. I'm going to read all 25 verses, 25 verses of the book of Jude. Read along with me. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called and beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 5. 
Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8, Yet in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. When the archangel Michael, contending for the devil, was disputing over the body of Moses, he did not presume to, to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves... Waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds and their ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumblers, the malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Quick summary. Jude is writing, he's warning the church of the false teachers in their midst that are drawing the, the followers away from the one true gospel. Now he lands this way. He says this, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved... Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, through Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We are called to contend for the gospel. We contend for the gospel. And how do we contend for the gospel. First, what we see in this first long section, these first 16 verses, is we contend for the gospel by guarding against the perversion of the gospel. So we guard against the perversion of the gospel. 
We guard against the perversion of the gospel. You know, James wrote in his book, if you didn't know this, Jude is a brother of Jesus. Uh, we, we know that from the New, the New Testament and church history. Jesus had four brothers. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 2 through 3, tells us that James, Joseph's, or could be Joseph, uh, Judas or Jude and Simon, not the Judas that betrayed Jesus, uh, but Jude, his brother, and Simon, not Peter, but Jesus' brother, Simon. He had four brothers, and then it says he has sisters. And so Jesus' family, part of the reason we know who Jesus was, who he said he was, is because his, his family, in fact, gave up everything to follow him. If your family can follow you, because they know every part of you. They know who you are at home. I'm not perfect in my house. My family knows that. They see every part of me. And if Jesus' family knew who he was, well, then their actions showed that because they dropped everything and they followed him. We know that uh, the book of James was written by Jesus' little brother, James. And James writes that, that true religion does what? It looks after orphans and widows in, in their need, in their time of need, and keeps one unstained from the world. So we know that Christianity, we know that religion can turn into something bad. But religion that is good stays rooted in what the gospel, the good news of Jesus, calls us to do. So we have to, like James, like James encouraged the church to do, we have to guard against the perversion of that gospel. We need religion that is true and pure. And how do we guard against perversion of the gospel? Well, Jude gives us a, a few examples. Well, we see first as Jude opens up his, 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 his uh, letter and he reminds the church of what the gospel is. Jude, a servant, notice he didn't claim to be the brother of Jesus. Jude said, no, I'm a servant of Jesus and the brother of James. He's actually the only author in the New Testament that we don't have to necessarily just go to, to church history to find out who he is, because he actually tells us who he is. He says this, he's writing to those, to the church who are called, beloved, and kept. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It means that we have been called. We have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. We are beloved by God the Father, and we are kept by Jesus in the power of the Spirit until one day when he returns. This is the good news. This is what the church was to contend for. And Jude wrote that I'd hope to write to you about this common salvation, but instead he's writing because he knows that there are leaders, quote unquote leaders, coming in their midst and perverting what the one true gospel has to say. And, and he furthermore says that they're perverting it to not only fulfill their own uh, own personal desires, but to excuse sexual immorality and other sorts of evil things. So Jude goes and he gives 
many examples. These first 16 verses are a lot to chew, and we're not going to be able to, to chew it all today. I would invite you, our, 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 our community group here on Sunday morning, we started this morning doing it. We're going to do it with our community group on Wednesday night as well. We're going to look at these 16 verses together. We're also going to look at some of the material in these 16 verses. And Jude actually pulls from some material here that we don't find in our Bible. And he's referring to, to certain myths that were out there. And even about like the archangel disputing over the, uh, Michael disputing with devil over the body of Moses. And he's saying, but, but Michael found his authority in what? He says, the Lord rebuke you. Michael didn't fight with the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And that itself alludes back to scripture where um, Judah, the high priest in Zechariah chapter three, verse two was being accused by the devil. And the prophet says, the Lord rebuke you because the power is in the gospel, not in people. Does that make sense? The power is in the gospel and the gospel holder, which is Jesus and not our works or people or what we do. Verse 3, he refers to them as beloved. The word there for beloved is agapados, which just comes from the word agape. And it means uh, it's affectionate. It's, uh, it's godly love. He loves them and he's, he's encouraging them to contend. And verse 4, to contend against those who pervert the grace of our God. And he gives three different examples in verses 5 through 7 of of perversion, of, 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 of aspects that the false teachers err in. One, he talks about Jesus who led the people out of the land of Egypt. You're like, wait, I read the Old Testament. Jesus didn't do that, right? That was Yahweh. This is God. Well, Jesus is God, right? You know, so Jesus who led the people out of the land of Egypt. And what, what did the people do when they were led out into the wilderness? They questioned God. And then they wandered for 40 years. And there was a whole generation there that didn't get to see the promised land. So he's highlighting that these teachers, in fact, perpetuate the sin of unbelief. Then he talks about the rebellious angels. If you've ever read uh, the book of Genesis chapter 6 that talks about the sons of God and the Nephilim, and I encourage you to figure that out because I don't know that I have it figured out. Um, but if you read about that, it, he's alluding to these rebellious angels that rebelled against God and they rebelled against proper authority. And that's, in fact, what these false teachers are doing as well. They are trying to, trying to perpetuate authority that they do not deserve and that they are ultimately fighting against the authority of the one true God. Then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. If you've never read the book of Genesis, you've never heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom and Gomorrah throughout scripture begins to really be a theme of just rebellion against God. Sodom and Gomorrah is referred to over and over and over because their sins are perpetuated throughout all centers, throughout all of history. So these three examples that are given are the sin of unbelief, the sin of improper authority, and the sin of immoral behavior personified in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he goes on and he, 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 he refers to these these leaders by three different Old Testament figures. If you look at verses 10 through 13, you see Cain, Balaam, and Korah all being compared to these false teachers. Well, Cain, what did Cain do? He killed his brother, right? Pride ultimately led him to murder his brother. 
so are these false teachers embodying the same sort of pride that ultimately leads to error and murder. Anybody know what Balaam did other than his donkey speaking? Anybody, anybody know uh, about Balaam? Balaam uh, was a false prophet who spoke against God's people. You can read about Balaam in the book of Numbers. So these prophets in of themselves are false, speaking against the one true gospel. And then he talks lastly about Korah's rebellion, which we also see in the book of Numbers. And Korah rebelled against God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. So these leaders in their error are rebelling against proper authority. What we see is that these leaders, ultimately what will be reserved for them is judgment. And that's what we see in verses 14 through 15. Is actually Jude quotes from an, a book in the Apocrypha that's not in our New Testament canon called First Enoch. And First Enoch's not in our Bible for on purpose, but he quotes from Jewish history and he says, you know what? The Lord is going to come back and he's going to go after and he's going to make right against those who are rebellious against him. And he says, just as you've read in all these myths and everything, what God is going to do, he is going to do it, and he is going to execute judgment. Shameless plug, if you want to learn why uh, that book didn't make it into the canon of Scripture, uh, come to one of our groups. We're going to be talking about how do we get the Bible uh, the next couple of weeks together before moving into our next study leading into Thanksgiving. And here's how he summarizes these people who pervert the gospel. He summarizes it in verse 16. These are the grumblers, the malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And he encourages them, but you remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus. Do you all remember Jesus told the apostles, like, you're going to be hated for this. People are going to come in and they're going to pervert what I'm telling you to do. Verse 18, they said to you in the last time these scoffers, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. How do you know someone is full of the spirit and a faithful functioner in the body of Christ? Well, yeah, it doesn't mean that we don't fail and falter. It doesn't mean that we don't upset one another. But what it does mean is that our failures lead to repentance. And our repentance ultimately leads us to Jesus. And we try the best we can to portray the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's not hard to figure out who has the Holy Spirit. It's not hard to figure out who has the Holy Spirit Usually their eyes are not on themselves and they're on Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're never going to be on themselves periodically. I hate to break it to you. I'm selfish. And I'm selfish. And you know what? You're here long enough. I'll make you mad. It's pretty much guaranteed. Like, I'm not perfect. I can be a punk sometimes. Like, I really am. But you're not looking to me. You're looking to Jesus. My job is not to point you towards Dean Ross. My job is like Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. You know what? I have a thorn in the flesh that I fight. But the solution to that thorn in the flesh is the thorn puller, the one true God, Jesus Christ. 
So here we go. We guard against the perversion of the gospel. Secondly is this. We have perseverance in the gospel. So we guard against per per perversion of the gospel, but we have perseverance in the gospel. We have perseverance in the gospel. Let's read what we're supposed to do to persevere. Verse 20. But you, beloved, there yet again, agapados, you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Do y'all know that when it comes to following Jesus, we're not saved by works? Paul says that in the book of Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a work so that no one can boast. But we are his workmanship or masterpiece. In the Greek, we are his masterpiece, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared long in advance for us to do. What this means is that, yes, we are not saved by works, but that when we come to Jesus, we have to work on our relationship with Christ. It means that we read our Bibles every day. It means that we pray. It means that we share our faith. It means that if we can, we try to get into groups of people and learn more about Jesus in intimate settings. That's why we have family groups. I encourage you to get involved in a community group. We have two of them. Actually, we have three if you consider our youth, actually four if you consider our kids group that gathers too. So, and we're hoping to have many, many more because that's the way we multiply and that's the way we continue to do the Lord's work. So we have to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. This means that we have to remind ourselves of the gospel over and over and over and over. We have to be in God's word, hearing God's word, applying God's word. And we have to pray in the Holy Spirit. How do you know you're praying in the Holy Spirit? It means that your ultimate desire is to be guided by the Lord and not to guide the Lord to your desires. Let me say that again. How do you know you're praying in the Holy Spirit? It's so that you're guided towards the Lord's desire and not your desire that the Lord would desire what you desire. Does that make sense? We know that we're guided by the Holy Spirit. And actually, Scripture says in, in Romans chapter 8 that when we don't know what to pray, God's Spirit prays for us. God's Spirit is there. He's ministering to us with groanings too deep for words. You ever had a moment where we've had several people in our church family just lose loved ones recently? Or maybe you've gotten diagnosed with that sickness that you never thought you'd ever hear. I remember... I remember finding my dad um, dead one night uh, at his apartment. And I remember I never had dry tongue. Anybody ever been like so like stressed or uh, something where your tongue goes dry? I didn't know. I called my wife. I'm like, babe, all, all my liquid is gone. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I was just, I, I, I was panicking. I was freaking out. And in that moment, I didn't know what to say. But the Holy Spirit did. And he was praying for me in that very moment. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do and as part of building ourselves up. Keeping yourselves in the love of God and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We know that everything that's worthwhile involves some sort of waiting. We're a quick, we're quick people. We want things quickly. 
Jesus says he's going to come back and he's going to come like a thief in the night and he's going to come soon. And here we are 2,000 years later. And we realize that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, really? You know, like we're like, God, I want it. Could you just come back before Y2K? Could you, you know, like come back. You know, the world keeps going in a crazy direction. Come back. Well, the Lord hasn't come back because there are still people that need to hear about him. And our mission is to bring him into all the world and to tell others about him. And that's why in verses 22 and 23, he says, have mercy on those who doubt, literally snatching them out of the fire. Do y'all realize that there's an eternity apart from Jesus? It's an eternity in hell. And we're not fire and brimstone, like we're not trying to scare you to Jesus. But we know that in Jesus, we have nothing to be scared about. Does that make sense? We're not, scared. We're not following Jesus simply because we don't want to go to hell. We're following Jesus because we want to be with him. Hell is simply the absence of God and, ask, and us getting what we've always asked for, which is eternity apart from him. So when we tell other people about Jesus, we literally snatch them out of the fire. This is why Paul ended his, probably one of his, his last, church history tells us 2 Timothy may have been the last book written uh, by Paul, maybe the last book in the New Testament. And Paul writes here right before he's about to die to Timothy, he tells him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. It kind of sounds like what Jude's already warning the church about. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from the truth, finding themselves wandering into myths and genealogies. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Church, may we snatch as many people out of the fire as we can. We have perseverance in the gospel. The good news helps us to get through the hard times. In fact, it wouldn't be called good news if there weren't bad things. The reason it's good news is because good news invades bad places and bad circumstances. It's good. Jesus is good. Lastly is this. So we guard against the perversion of the gospel. We have perseverance in the gospel. And lastly, we praise Christ. We praise Jesus because of the gospel. We praise Jesus because of the gospel. I love how the, the writers and the New Testament, Holy Spirit driven, written by the hand of God. I love how they always come back to the praise of the one of whom they're writing and encouraging the church to follow. Now, what does he end with? Maybe in your Bible, maybe it says doxology, which is just a, which is just a, a moment of, of shouting out in praise. Verse 24 and 25, Jude ends this way. Now to him, Jesus, my earthly brother, my heavenly father. This is 
This is Jude writing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of glory with, of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. We praise Jesus because of the gospel. Jesus is not a false teacher. Jesus is the teacher. See, false teachers may claim their own authority authority, their own majesty, their own dominion, their own glory, but there's only one who deserves glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. It's the one true king, the one true Lord. His name is Jesus. And we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that often seeks worship in the mirror, looking at ourselves, not realizing that our mirrors are broken and distorted. And the one thing that can put our lives, that can put the broken mess back together, the one thing that can do that is Jesus. Restoration is here, and his name is Jesus. And I would invite you today to follow him. So we follow him. I love Jude's reminders that we follow him. We follow him even when the gospel is being perverted. We follow him, and we know that we can be preserved in the gospel. And we know that it's because of the gospel that we praise. Jude writes about perversion, perseverance, and praise. All things that are important for us as God's people. And I would encourage you, church, to do these things. Guard against the perversion of who Jesus is. Persevere in who he is. And praise him because of who he is. We contend for the gospel, and I invite you today to, to join our family to join our family as we contend for the gospel together. Because we can't do it alone. We need all of us to do it. They say, uh, they say that it takes more than a village, right, to raise a child. We all have to do that together. We're not individual creatures. We were made for community. And so I would invite you out of your isolation and follow Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We live in a perverted world, but we follow a Jesus who can help us persevere and who's worthy of all of our praise. So let's do that. Let's do that and let's follow him and let's take that outside of the walls today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your brother, your earthly brother, wrote this book to encourage us. Lord, we thank you for Jude's faithfulness. We thank you that, the, that your Holy Spirit guided him to write these words so we can read them today and apply them to our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all 66 books that make up your word. God, I pray as, as, as you encourage the early church through Jude to do to work and to, and, to, and to work and remind ourselves of the gospel, praying in the Holy Spirit and guiding others to follow you. I pray that we would read our Bibles every day, that we would pray and that we would share our faith. Jesus, if there's someone in here today, who, someone listening who hasn't followed you as their personal Lord and Savior, today I pray that they would Leave all the things aside, their own desires, realizing that all those things are sin and they ultimately lead to death and destruction. But there's only one person who can forgive all of that. 
We know that you so love the world that you gave your only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to perish, but would have everlasting life. So help us to respond and lie that truth. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.